Alan. <laughs> What's what? going yeah. on, Alan? What? Why are we doing a new release film as an episode? There's not even a sequel coming out. I don't know. It's craziness, Saul. Why are we doing it? What's going on? I'll tell you why, listener. We have to fill a we, week. <laughs> we, we've got, we've got uh, exciting special guests in the works, and uh, we had to postpone a recording in order to accommodate their filming schedule. <laughs> it's it's an actor. Oh. It's an actor, <laughs> working actor. Is it? Oh. Uh, so hello, <laughs> welcome to this week's emergency state of the nation address edition of <laughs> Diminishing Returns, in which we are covering. Brand new release, uh, the, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? The <laughs> Joker? polarizing, <laughs> the heavily polarizing, but largely uh, being hailed by general audiences as a masterpiece. Although I reckon in maybe three years time, everyone will be embarrassed to admit that they liked it. <laughs> uh, the Joker. Don't too much away. <laughs> <Don't> <laughs> yeah, it's Joker, uh, new film out. So, I'm I'm Sol. In case oh, hello. you've never heard this show before, that other voice <laughs> yes. is Alan. Hello. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, so we're doing a, an episode on a relatively recent release. By the time this episode goes out, it's going to have been out for a, a couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it should still be uh, fairly relevant. By the time yeah. the gap between us recording this and it going out, there's probably been some murders uh, in real life <laughs> that have been attributed to this film. Yes, you you are listening to Diminishing Returns, the lost episode <laughs> pulled from the schedule. After we talk about, uh, we're going to go on about how it's ridiculous if people blame this film for murders, and <laughs> then it's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm glad we're not uh, recording it any sooner than today because I would have been going into a tirade about its use of a Gary Glitter song on the soundtrack and giving royalties to a a, a, a paedophile and all that sort of stuff. But I read today that apparently he's not getting a, a cent from it. So, uh, which which song do they use? I don't even remember hearing one. The history of rock and roll. Uh, maybe part two, I think it might be called. Mm-hmm. It's um, I've had it stuck in my head all week, I'll be honest, because I, I don't feel comfortable listening to it in order to kind of get it out of my head. So I've just been going around work going, and then thinking, oh shit, I better, better not do that. It's Gary Glitter. <laughs> you can't, you shouldn't, uh, shouldn't ostracize yourself like that. I mean, I listen to Michael Jackson still. Yeah, but he's he dead. He's dead. He's not getting any money if you listen to it. Yeah, does Gary Glitter probably doesn't own the rights to his stuff, I imagine. He probably well, apparently not. For, no, for legal funds, not. I'm sure. Yeah, apparently he doesn't own the rights. Yeah, um, no surprise. Joker. It won the the big prize at the Venice Film Festival, where it debuted oh, yeah. this, this year. Um, it, it was initially hailed as an absolute tour de force masterpiece. Mm. Um, ever since that, initial positive response critics have kind of been going oh come on and like knocking it down a peg or two <laughs> Not uh, it's it's now down to i think 68 percent, something like that on rotten tomatoes but general audiences if you put something batman related in something they fucking lap it up so it is currently well, number 12 on imdb's top 250 well yeah that will last when we um 
when we talked about this previously, we talked about seeing the trailer. I don't even remember if we did it on an episode or what. But we basically said, you know, I liked Logan. Um, a little character-driven story about a, a superhero character would be fine by me. It, it, judging by the trailers, we I think we basically said it's hard to tell. This could be yeah. shit. It could come out really nicely. And and honestly, that exact feeling of like I don't know what to make of this is exactly mm-hmm. how I felt coming out of the cinema. <laughs> yes, it, I, I've <laughs> never felt more confused as to whether or not I liked or hated a film leaving the yeah. cinema than watching this film. Um, it it took me a solid twenty four hours, I would say, like reading up on the film, listening to other podcasts. <laughs> Sort of going, oh yeah, interesting insight, yeah. To kind of collect my thoughts on it. I want to, I want to talk to you about that because I watched it today, and I knew we were going to record tonight. And I basically, I decided I'm not going to read anything about it because I thought you will have, and I'd rather I'll come to this as the sort of like I've just watched it and we can discuss okay. it kind of thing. But cool. I would be interested to hear. So I'm helping you world. gather your thoughts. Well, I, I assume yeah. you hated it. I mean, that that's just my. Um, no, no. Um, All right, similar to me then, because I, I, I really didn't hate it. Yeah, I'm kind of torn. Yeah, I'll tell I was you what torn. My, my overall view is, right? I think it's a film, as a film, it's ambiguous in terms of what it's saying and why mm. it's saying it and all this sort of thing. I think it's ambiguous. I'm not convinced that it's a filmmaker creating ambiguity. I think it's perhaps just they didn't really know what they were doing. That's exactly that's my where I'm. Com- that's yeah. where I'm not sure where it falls. Because it doesn't feel like the direction is solid enough in terms of, like, it knows what it's doing. Look, um, the best take on this film I have heard, the thing where I listened to it and I went, of course, and it all clicked into place for me. And I am stealing someone else's opinion by saying this. Uh, Can you credit them? You. <laughs> uh, they they were on the Slash Film podcast, and it wasn't Peter Cesaria. It was one of the other two. Okay. Um, That's close so, <laughs> He said something to the effect of, this film thinks it's Martin Scorsese, uh, but it's more like Michael Winner. (laughs) And he wasn't even saying that as a complete and utter dismissal. He was just saying it thinks it's high art, but it's not. It's gritty, sleazy, B-movie exploitation cinema. It's like those other films in the 70s and 80s that were trying to rip off Scorsese, but without yeah. an understanding of what made them work. And and that that is this film. It It's basically, it's a film that thinks it's so much more intelligent than it actually is. And it's a shame because there, there's a lot to love in this film. Yeah. Um, but there's but a lot I think, to I hate. think you're exactly right. <laughs> I think it just thinks it's cleverer than it is. I think that's exactly right. And I think that really appeals to a certain type of film audience. Yeah, um, <laughs> we think we've discussed that before, haven't we? Um, mm. So yeah, I mean that that is a thing. I uh, basically, I I've been referring to this film as pretentious Batman for like the last <laughs> twenty four hours or so. That that's what it is. It's pretentious Batman. But the problem is, you can't start you can't start taking it apart and explaining why you don't like it to people without yourself sounding pretentious. Um, well, can I can I ask you a question <laughs> regarding that? Yeah. If this film was not connected to Batman, and you took all those little interconnecting elements out, mm. would it be better no. as a standalone character piece? No. Would the be novelty worse? behind this film is a huge part as to what makes it 
as good as it is. <laughs> but I think for, for me, like all the Batman stuff was a bit of a distraction. And I, oh I god, kept feeling yeah, like, yeah. I, I don't I kept mean feeling like oh, this doesn't need this. The, the, the story yeah, take, doesn't need it. Take Batman so, out of the film by all means, but the fact that it's the Joker in Gotham City. The fact that it's the Joker, I think that's the the the, the thing. I mean, the, the one of one of the worst. It definitely sells more tickets, but does it make it a better film? Yeah, because I I think without that, this is just a film about an unpleasant man spiraling into psychosis. And frankly, I've seen I'm okay that with before. That. Yeah, I'm yeah right but haven't that. you seen that a million times before? The same way that you know we've seen superheroes do X Y Z a million times before. At least by making this connected to a huge, huge one of the biggest franchises in the world. It's an interesting experiment. The fact they've made like a 30 million character piece that's connected to superhero movies is kind of insane and and that's something that winds me up frankly. I, I, I've spoken with this, uh, I've spoken with people about this film who loved it and say, oh, you know, it's just you've got to approach it as a small character study. It's an intimate little film. No, it's not. It's fucking huge. It, it, and it goes almost post-apocalyptic at the ending. It's it's <laughs> it's tiny by superhero movie standards, but it's still a big film by the standards of little character studies. It's not a little character study. This isn't. Yeah, this isn't a six million dollar indie little yeah. character film, yeah. But I think it's a little indie $6 million character study for people who never watch films like that, and would yeah. never sit through a film like that. Um, and then they can kind of feel like they've eaten their vegetables and <laughs> done something serious, and yeah. they haven't. Yeah. Like, I feel like I'm being really negative, so I need to address the balance a bit and be positive. So, um, beautifully shot. Or maybe not yeah. beautifully, but really fantastic cinematography. Especially to say it's the guy who shot the Hangover movies. It's not like Todd <laughs> Phillips has drafted in some Oscar-winning cinematographer. It's just his mate who he's worked with before. Yeah, let's talk about Todd Phillips. Because, yeah, not an obvious choice for this film. Or rather, this film perhaps not an obvious fit to him. I think you can make the argument that it makes sense on the grounds that Todd Phillips makes very mean-spirited comedies that are quite <laughs> nihilistic. And uh, I would argue that this is a quite a mean-spirited film. And uh, a lot of the same sensibilities do sort of seep through. But yeah, on paper, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. I, I, I mean, I'm going to come out and say, I think Todd Phillips seems like a bit of a twat. Um, just a bit of a knob. <laughs> Uh, I don't think he's as good a filmmaker as he seems to think, and everything he's said on the subject of this film is just like, oh, do shut up. You know, on his press <laughs> tour, he was um, he was whining about how, can't say anything these days, can't do anything funny these days, because bloody woke police come out and tell you off if you try and be funny. And it's like, well... <laughs> How come some of the how come there's like still a comedic industry creating some of the best comedy the world's ever seen? Then fuck off. You know, there's amazing comedy being made at the minute. Rick and Morty's still being made. Fleabag. Um, it, it it's a fucking ludicrous thing to say, and it really pisses me off. And Mark Maron, who's got one line of dialogue in this film, but I think originally had a much bigger part, came out yeah. and said like, "Yeah, maybe you're just a dick." He said maybe you're insensitive, but like, yeah, fair enough. That's a working stand-up comedian who's saying, yeah, look, you can be a hack and go for cheap gags laughing at, you know, 
punching down or you can you know make something worthwhile and anyway so that's one thing that Todd Phillips said that annoyed me the other is his just complete dismissal of the superhero genre and and the way he was like I said to Joaquin uh how about we sneak a real movie inside the system instead of all this superhero nonsense and it's like just maybe your argument would hold water if you'd made a better film but <laughs> you haven't <laughs> well does he think hangover part three that he's not part of the system well, that's it. That's exactly it. Because you think he's like an outsider winning. Yeah. And look, look, don't get me wrong. I, I like The Hangover. I like The Hangover Part 3. Um, I won't defend the second one, but, you know, I... I don't have a problem with those films, but don't act all high... I mean, it goes back to what I said. It's pretentious Batman. It's pretentious. It, this film thinks it's better than it is, and it, it's just not it isn't clever. <laughs> I've seen it done before. I've seen Taxi Driver. I think a lot of people who love this film haven't seen Taxi Driver, Alan. Mm. And then they get annoyed with you when you say, have you not seen Taxi Driver? And they go, no, why would I watch a film from the 70s? <laughs> Fair point. Yeah. yeah. Cast? Oh, what a waste. Because... <laughs> <laughs> go on. Well, I mean, it's obviously by design, but I don't think I've ever seen a film so uninterested in its supporting characters. Like, the the, the one character this film wants to spend any time exploring or getting to know is Joker. Yeah. But you, why, why even bother casting Robert De Niro and Mark Maron and, and all these phenomenal actors? Why even put Zazy Beats in there? If you're just gonna waste them, squander them. Well, to be to be fair, the the only actor I even knew other than Wacky Phoenix was Robert De Niro. Um, De and I, I honestly don't think I've ever seen De Niro look less interested in what he's doing. He, it wasn't good, was it? It was. Uh, he seemed. I think he's miscast in that particular. Oh, role. completely, completely. So, miscast. how much can he do? But also, it's like De Niro is an obvious choice because of the taxi driver connection, well, because, because of the, the king of comedy con- connection. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But but ultimately, he's not right for the part, and it, and he obviously it's not like they've. I guess they just haven't given him much to work with there either. Yeah, and yeah. but then we'll get onto this later. But I, I've seen De Niro with very little uninteresting parts and he's made the you know a hell of a lot out of them. I've seen him do very well with minor material. But yeah, it just it just didn't click, did it? And it's well, not even he, that he's he bad at it. He, just... he could have played it as a kind of older Rupert Pupkin. It would have worked. Mm. You know, just a kind of that a little bit more of a twinkle in the eye, really. That's all yeah. I needed. Yeah. But I will I will say that we'll get into this later but how much of that character exists in Joker's head and how much mm. of it is real. We'll talk about that later, but... Uh, so, I, I yeah, the other actors, I, I don't know any of them, basically. I, I kind of like that. I like that there's a, a kind of unknown... You know you know, Zazie Beetz, right? She was, I don't um, think so. What's she, she was Domino in Deadpool 2. Oh yeah, well I've seen that. I, I didn't recognize her. I didn't know the name, but yeah. I say she's like an up. I, I recognized her, but didn't know who it was, and had to like look her up. I was like, where have I seen her? I'd say she's kind of an up and comer. She's definitely wasted in this film. She oh yeah, she she's completely wasted. Uh, Frances Conroy, I've definitely. I she was someone where it's like, well, I've seen this woman in a million things, but I couldn't for the life of you 
say what. (laughs) Um, There's all sorts of just, like, comedians and stuff dotted around. Like I say, Mark Maron's the most egregious example. He plays the... um, the the show producer I guess De Niro's yeah yeah like, he has right right hand man. and he's got I think two scenes in the film and it's Mark Maron he's he's a fantastic actor he's you know I, I, he's been getting all sorts of accolades for his work on Glow he, 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 he runs the biggest podcast in the world arguably they had Obama on while he was still president in his garage like he's he's not a nobody yeah but I would I would certainly would argue that. Uh, some scenes have been cut there. It seems like oh, completely because yeah, that yeah, whole thing so. seems very quick and sort of truncated. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Um, I tell you, who really stood out to me as a, as a cast, uh, and I had no idea who the actor is or anything. But the guy who is the administrative guy at the mental hospital where he goes to find his mother's records. Oh, he was good. Yeah, I, agree. I really liked him. That scene. It's just a nice little two person scene. It's quite intense, and and there's a little bit of uh, of a flow to the scene. Like we know, it's like building to something. I thought that it just worked very nicely, very natural. Do you know who that was? He plays uh, he plays Paperboy in Donald Glover's sitcom Atlanta. That's a big oh, yeah. deal at the minute. What's his name? Let's give him a name check if we're saying nice things about him. Brian Tyree Henry. Let's give him. A yeah, name and check. he was he was in was the great. Child's Play remake this year, and in the oh, uh, Chris Sarandon Chris Sarandon role. He's. I think he's yet to find... I think he's going to be a bigger deal once he starts getting some good roles in movies. But, I mean, his role in Atlanta's, you know, good. He's good. Cool. And you're right, I, I completely forgot he was in it. But, yeah, love him. That's what I mean. Every little role in this film seems to be filled with... The other one, uh, Shea Wiggum. I, I do I do know Shea Wiggum. Yeah, he's, uh, he pops up in everything, doesn't he? He's all right. One of the cops. Of note, with the cast, Thomas Wayne... Uh, Batman's dad was originally, I believe, going to be Alec Baldwin, which makes a lot of sense. Hmm. But then he dropped out because he said he realised he'd been cast as Donald Trump again and he didn't want to get typecast. <laughs> yeah. And that yes. leaves us with the big boy himself, doesn't it? Uh, Joaquin Phoenix, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, he lost a lot of weight. I know you like that in an actor. Do I? You like it when they go extreme weight. Cause it... Do I? He, he said this the other day when we were, we were talking about when we were talking about Christian Bale. He said, You're "Oh, I do like it when Christian Bale does it." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and speaking of which, uh, did you see Wacken Phoenix's uh, quote-unquote freak out on set? No. Oh God! Um, someone was obviously trying to create the next big. Christian Bale freak out. Uh, for more on that, if you're unfamiliar, go and listen to our Terminator Part Two episode from a few weeks back, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> where we we cover it as extensively as uh, the film in which <laughs> it happened. He was doing press for this film on, I believe, Jimmy Kimmel, and Todd Phillips sent a little quote-unquote gag reel over unbeknownst to Joaquin Phoenix that was then presented, played in front of the audience without him knowing it was going to be played. And it's not a gag reel, it's just footage of him in character as the Joker, just sort of going like... No, just, like, the constant whispering, just shut the up, dude. I'm trying to, like, find something real. Sorry, it's, it's, it's always such a 
It's, it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. God, it kind of is. And I know you started the share thing, Larry. Yeah, it's funny making fun of me. Like I'm a diva. It's not even an insult. Share, really? Just singer, actor, dancer, fashion icon. How is that an insult? And I and like they're obviously trying to like make him out to be this knobhead, but I was I watched it and thought like, yeah, fair enough. He got a bit snappy because someone's fucking about whispering when he's trying to film, and and then he apologized for it. And this is the sort of character that you're getting into. You're going to be going yeah. to some kind of weird places in your own head. Yeah. So you probably are going to be a little bit um, highly yeah. strong. And then, and honestly, it's so awkward if you watch it because he's just there on the on the sofa, like, well, uh, I kind of didn't think anyone was going to watch that. I thought it was going to be private. It was supposed to be private. <laughs> well, there's no excuses. I guess his career will survive. He's probably going to get Oscar nominated for this film, so mm. whatever. Um, I'll be honest, and I, I'm I'm really hoping you disagree with me here. I've got a feeling you're not going to disagree with me. I was not blown away by Joaquin Phoenix in this film. That's so. It's funny. I, those are the exact words I used when oh, I was talking yeah. about it. I said I I liked it. I thought it was good, but I was not blown away. It's annoying because. Even people who don't like this film have largely all been praising his performance. And I went into this thinking, look, if I get nothing else out of it, I'm getting Joaquin Phoenix as the Joker. I love Joaquin Phoenix. I think he's a phenomenal actor. I, I prefer him as an actor to Heath Ledger. Um, is this on par with Heath Ledger's Joker? Is it fuck? Is it on par with Mark Hamill's Joker? Nope. Is it what about Jared Leto? Oh, God. I mean, fuck's sake. That's not even... <laughs> Doesn't but I, even I, you, enter the conversation, can, Alan. He's he's totally committed to it. You know, he's obviously gone yeah. full in. But ultimately, it feels a bit. I don't know. Superficial is it? Is it too shallow? Yeah, is that what it is? Yeah, yeah. I look right. So this is this is tied intrinsically to the Joker's characterization throughout the film. Now, I will acknowledge. Uh, this is a reinterpretation of the character. There's no definitive take on the Joker. You can play with these things. However, generally speaking, in the comics I've read, in the films I've seen, in the games I've played, the Joker is meant to be a criminal mastermind. Mm -hmm. A real Machiavellian type. But more so, he's meant to be funny. <laughs> and this film initially presents the Joker as... Because the Joker's always mentally ill, but he's usually mentally ill in that he's a psychopath or, um, you know, things of that nature. Whereas this film just presents him as, like, uncharismatically mentally ill. I, I don't know how else to put it. It presents him as he doesn't understand how to interact with human beings. He doesn't understand humour. He doesn't mm. understand society um it's personality disorder isn't it i'm i'm okay with that because i think that's very that's 2019 isn't it like we we look at mental health in a different way now it's not just like wacky funny mental illness now it's yeah look i i'm 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 not averse to them changing that aspect of the character i'm not a big fan however that he then idiot savants his way through the second and third act of the film well the third act of the film you know, it, 
if he's not a criminal mastermind, how come he's so good at, you know, slipping around and eluding the police and so on? It, it's like the film can't decide if he's doing it on purpose or not. And more so than that, how come he suddenly becomes funny out of nowhere? He actually becomes quite witty and... and um, Playful and, talk, and can talk and, properly and stuff. Yeah, he he starts off the film being so. Um, only my mother. How come? Knock knock. Who's there? It's me, the Joker. Uh, and and it's cringy. And then you get to the end of the film, and I was laughing out loud when <laughs> when he when he said his <laughs> when he said knock knock. Who's there? It, it's the police. Your son's been in a serious accident. <laughs> that was Which, the, that was the look, that's a classic well. joke. I've heard it before, but I mean, it's a it's a classic for a reason. This is something of a problem as well. Like, okay, first of all, I think the way that I deal with that is I think the entire third act is just in his head. But again, we'll look into that in a bit. But I. And, and again, this is why I don't know if the filmmakers are doing this deliberately, but that whole last bit where he becomes this Andy Kaufman-esque character on a TV show, mm. I, I loved him. He was fantastic entertainment. <laughs> it's like, exactly. This is, and, but are we supposed to dislike him at that point? It's That's the sort of the ambiguity that I don't think is deliberate. I don't think I did love him. That I found his Joker quite unappealing in a way that I don't typically find the Joker. And you know, I'll give the film credit. Maybe that's on purpose. But there, there was one scene that I will point to uh, where this film worked for me, where this film clicked into gear and it was firing on all cylinders, and I loved it. And if the whole film had been like this, I would have loved it. And the okay. main reason that it worked for me was his performance was pitch perfect. That Joker was fun and charismatic, but darkly scary, and it, it did everything at once that it was supposed to. Um, do you, by any chance, know the scene I'm talking about? Um, or was it just? I'm, I'm just. I'm interested as to whether it stood out to you as much as it did to me, because it, it really was like leagues beyond <laughs> the rest of the film for me. No, nothing is jumping to mind. Go on. Um, so the scene where his two ex-colleagues come round to his flat to oh, yeah. check up on him and he brutally murders one of them with a pair mm. of scissors. Now, the the violence is raw. And that's something I'll say for this film. It, the violence throughout it is, is raw and unpleasant and brutal. And I thought that was great. Because there's been a lot of criticism uh, from people who I don't think have actually seen the film that this film is going to glamorise violence and incite all sorts of God knows what. And I don't think it does glamorize violence. I think I think the way the violence is shot is very unpleasant in this film and it, it's just matter of fact and it kind of lets you sit in it in a way that isn't particularly fun. So that alone was kind of disturbing and then to have Joaquin Phoenix just lying there splattered with blood and this other guy in the corner going, oh! And to be fair, maybe they could have cast a better actor for the other guy for the scene <laughs> to work because it was partly funny just him going, oh, Arthur, oh my god! Then, you know, Joaquin Phoenix just came into his own as the Joker there and he started going, oh, top of the morning, don't worry about it, mate. <laughs> and like laughing <laughs> away. And then the guy awkwardly, you know, steps past him and he goes, rah! And like jumps and starts laughing. That is the Joker. That is playful, but 
evil and scary. And then the fact that it leads to this kind of punchline, this very uneasy joke of this little person struggling to reach the the lock to let himself out of the the flat and then he has to ask Arthur the Joker and you can hear in his voice to give the actor credit he does a remarkable job there of of portraying that kind of humiliation and and yeah having to ask him to be allowed to go and then you get this weird moment of twisted morality from the Joker, and it, it just gives him all this depth. That whole scene was phenomenal, I thought. And if the whole film had been like that, I would have loved it. But it wasn't. And like I say, I just thought it was inconsistent. I realise I keep going off on all sorts of tangents here, but I thought the Joker was very inconsistent, and not in a good way. He, Because he wasn't, like... He didn't seem to know what he was doing half the time. And not in a... Yeah. I'm like a dog chasing cars kind of way. Just in a I'm mentally ill and I'm going to climb inside the fridge kind of way. There's also this idea of him being this sort of weak, simpering person who's finally pushed to the edge by society. Mm. But the problem with that is he's always, like not right in the head. There's something wrong with him. And there's a distinct point where he stops having medication and that's where he starts to lose control yeah. of everything. So it's not like society has pushed him there other than society is, you know, um, not helping those that need help mental yeah. illness-wise. Yeah. But it's kind of, it's as if, it's more, it's like it's falling down and like he's finally pushed to the edge. And it, it's not that, but then it's, it's it feels like it's trying to portray that. Yeah. Yeah. And have you do, are you aware of um, the story of uh, Bernie Getz? No. So this was in the eighties in New York when New York was like at its worst, and basically Bernie Getz was this guy um, on the subway, and these four black youths like approached him. And I, I'm not going to remember the, all the details, but basically he felt threatened enough that he pulled a gun and shot them, shot them all. I don't think they died, but anyway, it it sparked this whole debate on self-defense laws and um, a whole race thing as well. Oh, well thank and... God they got that sorted out in America, hey? <laughs> but that, that, that incident was really kind of a, a, a flashpoint in, in that whole thing in the 80s in New York, and then they kind of cleaned up New York a little bit. And, and But the fact that this guy, you know, Joker, he shoots these people on the subway, and, you know, he's a vigilante, he's he sort of praised as a vigilante in some places and then condemned yeah. as a vigilante in others... That's a deliberate um, reference, I have no doubt. Oh, completely. Um, I, now that you say it, I've I've read comparisons um, between... That is a very, America. very yeah. famous thing that happened in the 80s, in America anyway. Um, so, uh, and then, you know, there's other political parallels as well, obviously the Trump thing. One of, one of the wanker, like, um, city guys who attacks him in the subway at the beginning... Looks exactly like one of Donald Trump's sons. I don't know which one. It is, but, you know, <laughs> yeah. That's probably that must be deliberate. You know the the um... yeah, but I mean, is that deliberate or is it because Donald Trump's sons look like they're going to the purge <laughs> on a day to day basis? And then you got uh, Thomas Wayne. Is it Thomas Wayne? Is that his name? Thomas yeah, Wayne, yeah, Bruce's who's dad, like yeah. the big you know the big uh, money man who's decided to run for politics. Yeah, you know yeah. and and. Uh, that's obviously also deliberate, but then we never quite get to it. What what are they saying? Are they, is this film sort of saying 
hey, let's rise up and take out the one percenters. Yeah, is it well, saying, look yeah. at these this, these despicable protesters, they're going to cause a lot of damage and they're killing people. Look at their leader, he's mental. Mm. And But th- that's what I mean. I don't think that ambiguity is kind of deliberate to, to sort of ask questions or put a mirror up to society. I think it's just filmmaker who's not sure what they're saying. Mm. Yeah. Or doesn't want to say anything too much, but wants to look like they're saying something, but don't actually mm. say anything. Mm. Hmm. So just to to go back to Joaquin Phoenix, uh, you know, he's lost all the weight and it gives him a very extreme physicality and he expresses things in movement quite a lot. Uh, Mm. There's kind of, there's almost, well, it's dance. He does does dance moves sometimes. And I mean, he's fucking gross. That's what he is, Alan. He's really (laughs) unpleasant to look at in this film. So, yeah, he's not like a nice to skinny, is he? <laughs> yeah. Weirdly protruding but, body parts. But again, you know, I, I want to give this film some credit. I, I think it goes out of its way to not glamorize the Joker. I, I think he's a very unpleasant, like, oh, yeah. uneasy character to watch. I didn't come away thinking, man, I wish I was the Joker. Like, maybe I came away thinking, man, I wish I could do that role, because it looks like it's an easy Oscar. Um, <laughs> and, and you know, to give Whacking Phoenix credit, he, he does that. And I think he does what he's trying to do very well. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just not sure if I really liked what he was doing with it. it. His Joker just felt like a bit of a whiny little, like, knobhead. When he was on TV at the end, he wasn't this incredibly charismatic, like, guy who was just like you know, telling jokes and and winding up Robert De Niro, which is kind of what you want. He was just like a little snivelling little oh, well, you all, you all and oh, and that's the other thing. I mean, talk about bad writing. Show don't tell. You you can't just have your characters announce how we're supposed to feel about them in the finale of the film. That's not how That makes me so angry. (laughs) Yeah. But seriously, he just goes up and goes, you did this to me, society did this to me. I laughed out loud when he said society, because that's uh, the, the Joker and his society is a a well-known internet meme, and I couldn't believe they just walked into it. I mean, so, I mean, he's he's good in it. Wacky, wacky Phoenix. Oh, yeah, so, yeah, he joking, does this. Joking, 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 <laughs> Joker, Phoenix. He does, um... Yeah, he does this sort of dance thing, this very physical thing, which, I don't know, like I say, it gives the character a kind of a feel, but it ultimately doesn't mean anything or say anything. It kind of, again, it just felt very superficial. Look at this wacky dance thing I do. I did love the moment where he's on the stairs dancing, and we've just been listening to that Gary Glitter song. And then the police go, hey, Arthur! And then you get a split second of him dancing with no music. <laughs> and it was just like <laughs> the weirdest thing. And I don't know if it's funny on purpose, but <laughs> it, you know, it, when we did our Love Actually episode, there's that whole sequence where Hugh Grant's dancing around number 10 Downing <laughs> yeah, Street. Yeah. And I said how funny it would be just to watch that without the music that we as an audience are listening to over the top of it. It would just be this like maniac, you know, prancing about with no sound. Um, <laughs> and it was that. Mm-hmm. You're the fire starter, twisted fire starter. I'm a fire starter, twisted fire starter. Yeah. 
yeah, I... It's not quite fair to compare him to Heath Ledger and that sort of thing, because Heath Ledger's Joker wouldn't have worked. The performance Heath Ledger gave in, in that film, The Dark Knight, wouldn't have worked here. It's a very different thing that was being done, you know? Um, but nothing about this performance grabbed me in the same way. And and I don't know that I think the Joker is meant to be incredibly charismatic, at least when he becomes the Joker. And I never felt like Whacking Phoenix became that, or or at least he just wasn't very good at doing it. He was only good at doing whiny little meek Arthur, and it it, it was just the kind of performance where I was sat thinking, I can act that well. <laughs> You know, I, I don't know if I'd be willing to lose all the weight, but uh, maybe I would for a few million dollars. Maybe I would. Yeah. He was, he was fine. Just, just don't think he's phenomenal. You know, a plot element that seems to go nowhere, but I think is setting us up for something later on is the uh, sort of the, the woman who lives down the call. Oh, um, uh, yeah. And he has a little interaction with her in the lift. Just as you know, as you would in a, just live in the same building. I liked the way earlier on in the film he kind of kept idiot savanting his way into being witty and charming. Yeah, there there were a couple of points where he just kind of there was a point where she says, "Why are you doing that?" and then he just says, matter of fact, like, "Oh, I you know took a gun to a kid's hospital or something." But the way he says it is like, "Oh, he's being really sarcastic and it's funny." But he's actually just telling the truth, and she. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. reads like she's sort of thinking, "Oh, he's a funny, fun guy." I like the way he kind of did that a few times early on. The problem is, are we then to believe that that's what his whole Joker persona is—him just lucking his way into being funny with people who don't realize well, it is, that he's serious? It does seem to be that way, doesn't it, to a large part? <laughs> yeah. Mm. But that so that character and that whole plot point. Basically, we see him... I hated it, Alan. I hated it. Well, I did at first, because he's making a connection with her, but there was no evidence of this connection. It was just suddenly she liked him, and there was no oh, obvious first, reason for it. No, look, to at the first, point where... I liked it. I, I'm the opposite then. At first, I liked it. They're, they're in the lift. She tries to talk to him. He's a bit weird, but then he turns around and does the shooting, us, <laughs> shooting himself in the head gesture with his hands like she did. And that's like, oh, I get that he's like a bit twisted and thinks that's a normal way to yeah. react, like to in you know interact with another person. But then she's gonna go with it because it kind of does come across like he's going, hey, I get you. And uh, I liked that. What I didn't like is that he then starts stalking her, and she then knocks at the door and says, "Hey, was that you stalking me today? Well, would you mind doing it a bit less subtly?" Why don't you hold my hand next time you stalk me? No, no, yeah, exactly. So this bit was all like, and, yeah, you said like, and the, the second, when he does the the second does... that happened, I yeah. was like, right, well, I know what's going to happen with this, and that's yeah, exactly yeah, what yeah, happened. Yeah. The big shocking twist reveal. Well, the, well, for me, it was uh, I was thinking, and this perhaps is shows how much faith I have in the filmmakers. I was thinking, are they actually expecting us to buy this? Is this real? Oh, is yeah. this going to be... And then, but like, there was after a couple of moments, it was like, no, there's no way they're going to try and play this off. It's like, yeah. no, it must be just going on in his head. Yeah. And then what I particularly hated about it yeah. was 
we get the moment when he goes into her apartment and yeah, yeah don't worry I'm building to it <laughs> he goes into her apartment and she's like oh my god what are you doing here creepy guy from up the hall and then they have to show us the flashbacks to the scenes where yeah, I she it. wasn't really there. Like, how fucking dense do you think the audience is? They did the exact same thing with um, with the stand-up performance as well. That was so blatantly. The fact that they were filming it so close up on his face, the fact that they cut away and started playing music over it. The idea that when he performs stand-up, he actually starts to do quite well. And then later on, we see a tape played back, and he's just bombing. It's like, well, of course he was. No, oh, I didn't even. I didn't even get the impression that perhaps he'd done well at that point. I, I yeah, because she <laughs> again, she's bomb. there laughing at him, and it was like, oh, oh yeah. well, she's obviously in his head then, because she's the yeah. only audience member that we're cutting to, but we're hearing laughter. It 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 was just. Yeah, like you say, just give us some credit as an audience for fuck's sake. Like I've, and and it's just. I mean, do you really think that's shocking? Because like. I'm not even going for that older movie here. We've seen Fight Club. Mm. But maybe that is an old movie now. I mean, 20 years ago. 20 years, isn't it? But, the, but it's just like, if you're going to do that, make it more believable or 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 do it as more of a throwaway thing. Like, it, it, you do it as a moment of like, his, he has one moment with her and then the next time he sees her, he's like, oh, hey. And she's like, what well, the fuck are you? And he realises that, oh my God, that was all in my head. Or do do it with some purpose. Because ultimately, yeah. what was the point of any of that? Other than to show how crazy he is. Do you think, Alan, do you think Joker is a bit like the Adams Family? Do you think he's like the cousin of the Adams Family? Because he, he's a bit like them, isn't he? Because you, know <laughs> you know how normal people like law and order? Joker fucking hates it. He's like, I he hate... He likes crime and disorder. I hate law and order, yeah. And, <laughs> and you know how... You know, normal people, they hate, like, chaos. They they hate it when <laughs> hospitals blow up. Joker <laughs> loves it when a hospital blows up. It's his favourite thing. It, may, it He loves it so much, it makes him laugh. And not even, not even an uncontrollable, my brain got bashed in laugh, like a real laugh. You know what, that's something I really liked. I liked that the film made a clear distinction but quite a subtle one, I would say. It was never, like, massively hammered home uh, between his mental illness tick laughter and actually finding stuff funny laughter. Was that just me? Yeah. I Yeah. I, I, no, I, I don't... I think he... I, I remember hearing him laughing because he thought he should. You know what I mean? Like, he was... Yeah. He was yeah. The other people yeah. around him laughed, so he laughed. Yeah, um, and there were also the laughter at things that weren't funny, and he, you know, sorry, I have a condition, and it's a very weird yeah, that was, fake that laugh was, that yeah, is yeah. inspired by actual people who actually have that brain condition, because um, I, I believe there is a, 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 a some degree of truth, and Wacken Phoenix yeah. was, you know, mimicking it's called the real... <laughs> You know, you know, when you just start laughing, you. Can't <laughs> um, and. But then there, there's a moment where he laughs and his mum goes, don't laugh at that, that's not funny. And I thought, oh, that's nice. It's because he's like actually laughing there and she can tell. And then there were very specific moments as the film progressed where it's like, oh, he's doing a legitimate real laugh here. Oh, that's his weird fake laugh. And I, I just thought that was a nice moment. If you're showing a transition from, you know, one thing into another, it was just a nice little subtle detail 
Uh, and 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 fair play to him. The performance I thought did a great job of you know differentiating between that. So I so I think yeah. that the point of that the neighbor goes on a date with him, but it's all in his head. Story is to set up the fact that hey, this is an unreliable narrator. Not all of this is necessarily real, okay. because I think the whole final act is in his head. Mm, interesting, interesting. And I don't, um, I, I haven't, I don't, I'm sort of pinned it down specifically as to where. And I think perhaps it's not necessarily specifically. This is real. This is fake. But the whole like him getting on the TV show was so kind of unrealistic and the idea that they would let him on in the makeup and and like there's no checking yeah. of his material all that none yeah. of that's realistic and i think they deliberately make the girlfriend situation unrealistic to show his fantasies are kind of not quite right you know he because his idea of his idealized idea of what this should be is not realistic yeah yeah so i think that's deliberate i i think mm. the point of that is that it's all in his head i will say todd phillips is aware of what you're saying, and I think it is <laughs> ambiguous by design. Yeah, yeah. I don't buy that that is the intention of the film. I think maybe Todd Phillips watched Taxi Driver and thought, oh, I like how it goes like so smoothly and, and happy at the end, and you know, I like this fan theory online that it's all in his head. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I just, I don't know, maybe I just at this point wasn't giving the film the credit it deserved it it just didn't strike me like that was the sincere intention of what they were doing i mean particularly as it, it ends with him being captured and put back into arkham asylum you know it, it, it it's not the happy ending he, he, he would give himself surely but i think that ending is him having been arrested after stabbing of his f- clown friend in the head and everything else after that is all right at which point i would say what's the point is that good is it the that we watch him have a little daydream well that's why they have to make it ambiguous because <laughs> <laughs> you know there, there's a real there's a real story to be said uh i mean look spoilers if you haven't seen taxi driver but come on get with the program it's like the first film you should watch if you're interested in films um <laughs> Maybe not quite, but it, you know, one of the first ten. <laughs> hey, Alan, we've still not covered a Martin Scorsese film on the podcast. Yeah, no. But so we've we... basically covered a Michael Winner film now, haven't we? So that's that's basically. <laughs> um... How many Paul W. S. Anderson films have we done? <laughs> <laughs> Scorsese produced this, so it kind of counts. No, so did Bradley Cooper. Yeah, exactly. So it doesn't count. I, I mean, apologies to the listeners, because my thoughts are so fucking dotted around. There's no structure to, the, to this episode. But you know what? Joker would love that. Lack of structure. <laughs> That's what he's into. How did, how, did you, uh, how did you feel about the music, generally? Oh, music? very, very very good. Very high quality uh, film score. I, it's not something I don't think I, I don't think I'll ever choose to listen to it like ooh I fancy listening to some music but in terms of evoking the feeling it's going for this very uneasy quite claustrophobic feeling yeah I thought it was fantastic I felt like there was some of it was a bit like oh let's put a kind of happy song over this this sort of weird scene but oh yeah I'm talking about the actual film score rather than 
Let's oh, put yeah, on choices. Put on a happy face. All right. Yeah, we get it. Yeah. Oh, when you're a clown, nobody takes you seriously. How many clown songs are there, Alan? I reckon Sending I could have predicted. Well, that yeah, that was over the end credits, wasn't it? I reckon if I tried, I I could have predicted about half of this film's soundtrack very reliably <laughs> before I went in. Tears of a Clown. Clowny Clown Clown. That was in there, wasn't it? By Crispin Glover. <laughs> Walking on the ground, I didn't make a sound. Then I turned around and I saw a clown. Had a frown, stood on a mound, started barking like a hound. When I came to it, I found. <laughs> uh, but no, I thought the I thought the actual film score was very good. I I thought all the kind of technical aspects of this film were done to a very high standard actually it, it, mm. it was frankly my my nutshell review is i think this is a really quite lazy hacky script that's been very well put together with regards to the acting and the the technical side of filmmaking so yeah. cinematography and i think I think all of that, the gloss they've put over it, the acting, does a hell of a lot to carry you through it and make yeah. it work more than it really should. Yeah. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. <laughs> so what what do you make of the ending then, uh, where he goes onto the TV show and all that? I I just took it at face value. I don't buy that it's meant to be in his head. But I, I will acknowledge that it's certainly a way to read the film, and I, I do think it's probably intentionally a way you can read the film. Um, I don't think it lets the film off the hook for the problems that I have with how it all plays out and so on. Because, like I say, I don't think, if it is all in his head, I don't think that says anything. I don't think that means anything. You know, you, the the reason that's such a popular fan theory for Taxi Driver is that it, it kind of does um, work on a thematic level if it's all in his head at the end. Um, even though I don't think Taxi Driver's all in his head either. You know, you, you're giving this character a, 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 a full arc. You're, you're letting them develop. You're, you're giving the story a proper third act and it, it you know, it's playing into the film's subtext and and purpose about isolation and 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 our relationship with violence and all that sort of stuff. And Joker, on the other hand, I, I don't know what that says. If that's all in his head, what's the point? What what does that mean? It's just someone went, oh, I saw this film Taxi Driver, and that was really good, and they did this thing, and I read online, I read on Crack dot com that actually maybe it's all in his head. <laughs> That's cool, isn't it? Yeah, we should do that. I'm not arguing that it makes it a good film. I'm just saying, I think <laughs> if it's not in his head, then it's just they've lost track of the plot, of what reality yeah. would, you know, well, any sense of real mm. character or anything. That's, that's, yeah, that's, 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 <laughs> that's, awesome. that, that's my reading on the film, is they lost the plot. <laughs> they just don't care. <laughs> 
because his character changes and you know everyone everything mm. just goes mm. perfectly for him in a kind of yeah. unrealistic way. Well, I I have to say one of the big issues I took with the film was the the way in which this vigilante clown killer is embraced by society. And there's you know there's a newspaper at one point that says something like kill uh, the rich ki- kill cut the is something like cut the throats of the rich <laughs> this clown says so and it's like as <laughs> like no newspaper would ever publish as fucking that much of a blatant call to overthrow society like it just it, no way would that be a front page um even if it was like questioning it and just reporting on what people are saying and the the idea that these crowds of people are all wearing clown masks and adopting it as this this like rallying cry i just didn't buy any of that i i totally could buy there would be people who were kind of like hey you know i'm kind of on side with him i hurt but do you know what if they wanted that to work they needed to have the woman go on tv and say he was defending me. Those men were were harassing me. Yeah, I yeah, thought they yeah, were going to yeah, do. Yeah. You had to see something like that, so that then all the people would go, "Well, I think he's a hero. I think it's about time someone stood up to these people." Because as it was, it was just, "Oh, some rich people got killed. Well, fuck them. Yay. They're rich, and that doesn't play. <laughs> that doesn't work the same way." Yeah, I think we're supposed to believe that you know, in in, in Gotham, this sort of eighties New York <laughs> idea that these real discrepancy and and, and unhappiness in the in the plebeian ranks and they're they're ready to uh, yeah and that that, that's fine i just needed i just didn't buy it i just didn't think it was handled very well but like like you say they're really so focused on this single character and what's going on with him that you don't get much of the wider picture yeah and that's the thing if it is all a big dream at the end then like yeah okay that kind of works but I just, I don't know, I just didn't, I didn't buy it. Right, let's talk about Bruce Wayne. Because quite early into the film, there is a sort of twist reveal. And it is the notion that maybe the Joker is Batman's brother. Mm-hmm. What did you think of that? Um, uh, When it first popped up, I was like, because mm, I, 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 I thought, okay, from a character point of view... This is an interesting thing because we've been dropping the thing about the mother a bit obsessed with Thomas Wayne and it's like it's a bit weird anyway. So it's like, okay. But like from a bigger picture point of view, making the Joker and the Batman related, I just thought that's a bad idea. And also people aren't going to like that. People aren't going to play that shit. So I kind of on a bigger picture, I didn't think it was a good idea. It kind of plays out to be just nonsense. Um which yeah. I like that yeah. that it was like he the kind of I realizing that his mother was um not what he, he thought I I thought it was pretty cut and dry oh that wasn't real and he's not related to him at all and he's just a nobody but yeah. I've spoken to people since who were like oh I th- I thought it was ambiguous how come he how come she had that photo that said uh to my darling TW well, she, she wrote she, it. On. She wrote it, didn't she? <laughs> yeah, because it's part of her yeah. But apparently, yeah. that's one of the debates this film spawning. Are they related? I I must say, I loved the. I hated the concept because it was just that classic thing of comic book bullshit. Oh, we're all related. Blah 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 blah. I didn't like that. Then they made it incredibly ambiguous, and I was like, oh, I do like it now. It's like it's ambiguous, and I like that they're not giving us any easy, you know in or out with it 
And then they just categorically said, oh, it's bullshit. And it was like, oh, whatever. Yeah, because I, 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 I couldn't figure out what they were doing with Thomas Wayne, uh, whether they were trying to make him the sort of arsehole bad guy Donald Trump, or if it was supposed to be a bit more sympathetic. And and like at that point, when, when he confronts him, if he's going like, oh, no, she's she's mad, she's crazy... And like at that point, it's like oh, he could be making that up, and and you you understand why he's pissed off at this guy who came to his house and like messed with his son and yeah, stuff. It's like yeah. yeah, you can. There's the emotion is there, and then he kind of finds out that his mother is lying, and it's it's like okay, well he's not, you know, that's understandable what he's done then, isn't it? It's like yeah, so I couldn't quite work out what they were trying well, to look, do with that. If this was a better film, maybe in in the first draft, even I could believe in an earlier draft, this was how it worked. That politician character, Thomas Wayne, would have been Robert De Niro TV show host. It would have been one character. That would have been the guy he shoots in front of everyone. The problem is, somewhere along the line, they obviously thought, well, hang on. We want to do Taxi Driver, but we also want to do The King of Comedy. We, we've got to do them both. Um, mm. And that's why they had to have Charlie Blumpkin Man in it as well as uh, as um, whatever the politician guy is in Taxi Driver that... Um, you know, forms part of the plot. Uh, yeah. It, it it just it just felt messy, really. I didn't mind Batman being there. It felt unnecessary. The one bit I hated was at the end when shit's hitting the fan. We see Batman and his parents leaving the theater. Yeah, good time to go to the theater. That when you're like, there's a when there's a re- revolution on the streets, baying for your blood. And I thought let's I pop th- out to the theater. Hey, look, look, they've had they had those tickets booked for months, Alan. You know how hard it is to get tickets to see Hamilton. <laughs> what if you're Thomas Wayne? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So even even if you're it? Thomas Wayne. Oh wow! Don't want to waste a hot show. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, Sol. I I got in to see Big the Musical <laughs> and last how? night for two pounds <laughs> because they were desperately giving away tickets because it's shit. <laughs> 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 well, I I saw them leaving the theatre, and I thought, all right, cut there. That's it. Don't you dare give me any more of that. And then we watched them walk down the alleyway, and then we watched a guy look at them, and I was like, are you, are you seriously doing this? And they did, Alan. They made me watch did Bruce Wayne's parents get killed for the 27th time, <laughs> and I'm fucking <laughs> sick of it. I thought if there was one DC movie where we wouldn't have to watch Bruce Wayne's parents get killed in an alleyway and a bad guy snapping the pearls off his mum's neck, I thought it might be the standalone Joker movie. But no, they can't fucking help themselves. They're obsessed with it. What is this fucking perversion they've got for Bruce Wayne's parents dying? It's bizarre. It is just... I, I think they've That's got a condition. That's character though, isn't it? Uh, well, he's, no one cares he's not in it Joker's gonna be 60 by the time he's Batman <laughs> Jack Nicholson oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a point Alan do you think what do you think to the notion of sequels to this film well I don't think it'll happen no no making a lot of money nah they'll draw a line Joaquin Phoenix says he's open to the idea Oh really? Yeah, that's that's. I would have been totally like, yeah, no, it's done, one and done. I would have thought he was he was one and done. Yeah. No, he said he's he said he's open to it, and that makes me think maybe they will do another one. 
I mean, the obvious thing to do is... Well, tell you what, let's save that for the ending. That's the point of this show, isn't it? We're meant to do that at the end. Uh, <laughs> um, so he goes on TV, and then he shoots Robert De Niro in the face. Did, did, did you like that? Um, I did. I liked that whole scene, really, because it was kind of awkward, and you're did not you quite find sure it... what's going to happen. I, I've I heard assume... people say that that was a shocking moment. And yet... Shocking? Well, yeah, I... Yeah, it's just because he shoots someone in the head and you kind of see it quite viscerally. Oh, God, I mean, yeah, it's very unpleasant. I, I suppose it is maybe startling, but it, you see it coming. You know it, it's inevitable that, that... From the second there's that scene where he's practising with the gun in his living room and he's doing the... He goes, knock, knock, and then he pulls the gun out to shoot himself in the head. I was like, oh, so he's going to shoot Robert De Niro live on TV... That's that's the end of the film. Well, that's it. I really wanted him to shoot himself because obviously he's not going to shoot himself because it's a Joker origin and it wouldn't make sense. But that I would have liked it if he had. Yeah, it would have been a nice closed film. That would have been a nice final. I would have loved it if he'd shot himself and that had been the spark that set the city over the edge and caused riots and carnage. That would have been a great like final act as the Joker. I thought, but. It's more of a an origin movie than that. It's not a standalone film in the way that it thinks it is. It's got its finger on the pulse of, well, even if we don't intend to make more films, we have to leave this character alive so that they can, you know, go on to be the Joker as you know him in your imagination. Well, that's what I mean. That's why I'm saying that the fact that it was tied to that whole thing felt stifling for me. I, I just want to see this character drama that can go to a, an ending that it, it deserves. I know what you're saying, I just don't think I'd be remotely interested in that this character drama made by these people without the weird novelty of the Joker being involved, because I don't think this is an amazing film, and I don't think mm. tying it free, untying all the Batman stuff would save it. So, I mean, I'll be honest, I, I thought the first 45 minutes of this film were quite dull. Um, I didn't find them very compelling or... A lot of the scenes were just quite, oh, it's people talking and they're just going through the motions. Oh, he's getting beaten up. Oh, he's getting beaten up again. Yeah, I know what you mean. I th- I was I was fairly engaged, but I do know what you mean. Yeah, it was just kind of like, okay, come on, get to the point where he snaps. Just contrived writing. It's it. There's there is in writing. We've spoken about it on the show before. There's a thing called the uh, is it the pet the cat moment where if you want people to empathise with your hero and know they're a good guy, you have them stroking a cat or a dog or, like, giving some food to some orphans or something. Yeah. And and I think the inverse of that tired trope is you just have them get beaten up for no reason. Because mm. then you're like, oh, poor guy. Oh, it's sad, yeah. isn't it? Oh, what a poor guy. Getting beaten up. It felt very contrived. Do you know what it it, 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 rem- it made me think of? You know when you you meet people who are always getting in drama. Or, oh, this happened to me. Oh, this happened. And then, <laughs> oh, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't my fault. This happened. And then, and it's just like at some point, it's not just bad luck, is it? It's just like <laughs> it's like. <laughs> Oh, I don't know if I should throw him under the bus so much. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. It's like friend of the show Dan Straw. Yeah, who, who you were thinking of? <laughs> who at uni was always Dan Straw, a man who got burgled three times because he kept left leaving his ground floor window open. 
really angry with me because I said, for fuck's sake, Dan, stop leaving your guitar next to an open window on a ground floor <laughs> in a dodgy part of Leeds. And he got really angry, like, how was I Victim supposed shame. to know? How was I supposed to know that someone would reach in and take the guitar when I was out of the room for 30 seconds? It was pure bad luck. He got really defensive about it. And it was like, well, first time. Shame on shame on them, but like third time, <laughs> shame on you. Come on. That's the thing. If if you're an irresponsible person in that sort of way, when you do have a bit of bad luck, people don't have sympathy for you because it's just like, well, you do this all the time. He, the bad things are happening to him. And you go, yeah, that's fair enough. That was that actually happened to him. But then, you know, the reason his boss doesn't understand and isn't listening to him is because he's a he's a he's a fuck up, and he keeps fucking things up. Yeah, and he, he took a gun into a hospital a to, a children's to entertain <laughs> kids. And then again, he, he idiot savanted his way into actually being a funny performer with it. But it seemed like completely... Like he didn't know why that was funny. and Like he wasn't trying to be funny. Just, I don't know what By the way, if I, if, if I ever have a kid with cancer and that's the entertainment they're bringing into children, <laughs> I'll fucking smother them myself. Look, that's why they do it, Alan, all right? It's, they're preparing them to, to want to die, because otherwise they'll just be sad, <laughs> won't they? <laughs> fucking Patch Adams turns up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, it wasn't that bad. Nanu <laughs> <laughs> nanu. Uh, Robin Williams, the the real life Joker. <laughs> hey, mental illness is not because because Robin Williams is frequently cited as look. Mental illness is no joke, man. It's um, it's always the 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 happiest people who seem who seem least bothered who are actually hurting on the inside the most. Um, didn't it come out? Like a few months after he died, that actually you'd just been diagnosed with a, a really nasty terminal illness. The one of the ones that like eats away at your muscles, and he just basically got like he just decided to kill himself before he couldn't kill himself physically. I'm sure his wife oh, came out and said such a thing. Well, if this stays in this episode, that means that's true. <laughs> <laughs> it's no surprise to me that Robin Williams was depressed. I mean, well, oh, I'm, yeah, fucking hell, I mean, look. Look how much coke he did. It was a big come down from that. <laughs> yeah, and look how talented he was. I mean, I'm 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 a really happy guy, and that's why I don't have any innate ability to do anything. Um, <laughs> it's just you know, it's one or the other, isn't it? Depression, eh? It's funny. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'd be a good Joker, I tell you. If 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 Matt Reeves is like putting together some casting notes, get an unknown in. You've not heard how I laugh on the show. I can do it all, it's easy Give me an Oscar now Oh, I'm scared (laughs) (laughs) The problem is, right You don't know how much of the laughs put on And how much of it's legit And that's what's scary (laughs) Alan, who would you be in, in Batman? Riddler? Bane? <laughs> Riddle me this. Uh, Batman? Be Alfred? You'd be an Alfred. You'd be a very miscast <laughs> Alfred. Where they kind, of, they kind of went, oh look, he can, he can do a moustache. 
We'll make him Alfred. <laughs> Who would I be, Alan? Who would I be? Condiment King. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually would. Just running around squirting people with ketchup. You know what? If this film had just been called, like, Condiment King, I would have bought it a lot more. It would have worked a lot better. It's like the, the gritty reimagining of the Condiment King. Cause well, and it's all exactly the same film, but just at the end. In, at the end, instead of saying, instead of saying, I've I've got one note for you, right? One one uh, one uh, rule you have to agree to. Yeah, what is? It? Hey, what is it, kid? It's me, De Niro. I can't do it. right. That was a brilliant impression I was just doing of Robert De Niro. But you have to see it; it's visual. I was squinting my eyes like <laughs> the McDonald's arches. It looked just like him. Um, instead of going, call me Joker. He goes, call me Condiment King. And then at the end, he stands up and he squirts ketchup all over Robert De Niro live on the TV. <laughs> yeah, that would work. It would be fantastic. It would be such a good film. And then it would even work at the end when you see him walking down the steps of Arkham Asylum and he's just got red footprints behind him. It's because he's got ketchup all over his shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh god, that annoyed me. That that final scene. Did you not think this film had maybe one or two endings too many? Yeah. Didn't need it, did it? The final shot so desperately should have been that moment where he wiped his face, felt all the blood around his mouth, wiped it mm. into a smile. That was an amazing shot. That should have been the end of the film. That should have been it. Cut to credits. That's it. That's the Joker. But instead, we then get all this bullshit with him in Arkham Asylum again, or Arkham State. But I, that's Hospital, what I mean. I think I think the point of that scene is to say, "Oh, that wasn't. Oh, that wasn't real. He's just been in the mental hospital." I think that's why it's there. Well, then we see him walking away, and he's just killed the woman he was talking to, and it's just like yeah, it's just it's just it's all in his head, isn't it? He's lost control of everything. It was just like. How many people do we need to see him kill? It's just getting boring. He, he doesn't. He's not just like a serial killer. He's like he's more than that. The Joker. He doesn't just. He's not fucking John. What's he called? John. Not John Wayne Gacy. What's his name? John Wayne Gacy is the clown killer guy. Oh, it is him then. All right. Yeah. I heard that John Wayne bit, and I thought it can't be called John Wayne. <laughs> now then, Pilgrim. So, this film. I, I've heard it being praised for, for depicting mental illness and, and making a real sort of tragedy out of it. And maybe you'll think, oh, maybe I shouldn't be a dick to people. Do, do, do you think the depiction of mental illness in this film is um, tactful or accurate? Because my, my initial reading is... I don't think people climb inside fridges because they're mentally ill. I mean, maybe they do. But, I mean, if I felt bored, I might climb inside the fridge if it was big <laughs> enough. And I don't think that points to anything innately wrong with me. I just like being in confined spaces from time to time. I like getting in cupboards. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I, I think if, if the sympathetic element of this, if anything, is that you see this mentally ill character who's not being helped by society, and then, in fact... Uh, financial aid is removed so he can't get medication. I think that's something the film is saying. 
at what point would you say you turned on him as a sympathetic character, if at all? At what point did you go from like, all right, I think this guy's in the right and I'm on his side as a protagonist to, right, he's a bad person, I don't like him anymore. Because I was on board with him when he killed those guys on the on the subway train because obviously he was acting yeah. in self-defense and then he kind of got caught in a difficult situation and, and had to kind of finish that last one off. And I, I could go with him to that point. I'm obviously not saying that was morally right, but, you know, I, I was totally Yeah, when honest. he chases the guy off the train to kill him, that's definitely a step further. Yeah, T- yeah. Certainly in a court of law, that wouldn't classify yeah. as self-defense. But I was on bored with him to the point mm-hmm. that I could still empathize with him and didn't think he was a bad person yet. Yeah, just, you know, he was in a <sighs> tough situation. I think, I mean, I liked him more at the end than at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> I like that he becomes this sort of revolutionary leader and he's sort of a symbol of of hate against the, the, uh, the ruling elite. I just want to see the place burn. I, I guess ultimately... I, I just don't really think... It's like they, they made a movie of Venom, right? And I complained yeah. when we spoke about Venom that Venom is a character who makes no sense without Spider-Man because he's literally born out of Spider-Man. Like, that, that He's literally got some Spider-Man DNA in him that makes him that way and makes him behave a bit like Spider-Man to begin with. Yeah. So... It just doesn't work. And frankly, I think Joker doesn't make sense without Batman. Honestly, I think Joker's only interesting as a character because of Batman. And I think this film proves that, frankly. <laughs> and the reason I say that is that he's he is the antithesis of Batman. He's the exact opposite of him. By design, you know, Batman is rules and order and ethics and no guns because they are in stark contrast to my strict you know ethical beliefs and i'm a regimented man who does all this training and 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 joker is just fucking chaos and and the the whole dynamic of batman and joker is that batman won't kill and joker is like trying to get the last laugh he's trying to make Batman kill him essentially because it's yeah. it'd be funny and it would undermine everything that Batman is standing for as a symbol and and the two are yeah. just so interwoven as characters that it just doesn't work and like I say I I honestly I don't think Joker is a very fun interesting character without some degree of morality for him to bounce off of and this film doesn't offer him any of that it's just grim depressing oh. oh I'm damaged I am I think I'd quite like to see this film with Batman thrown in <laughs> but then that wouldn't be this film would it is that the sequel mm. I mean maybe I think if they do make a sequel and they, they are you know, talking about it as a possibility I don't think it'll happen but if they do I think it'll just be right we pick up with Joaquin Phoenix and Arkham State Hospital and he escapes and he's got some followers now and he runs about being crazy and we look at no, how tell you what you hard do. his life is. They've ripped off Taxi Driver and King of Comedy so do One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. 
You just do it, do another Jack Nicholson character, basically. Before Bane picks up the the fountain and throws it through the window and runs off. <laughs> Killer Croc. <laughs> yeah, all the all the Batman villains are in Arkham Asylum. <laughs> they all hang out and they're in group therapy together. Nurse Ratchet, of course, would be um, Harleen Quinzel or whatever her name is. <laughs> oh yeah, God yeah. yeah. I mean, if there's not a direct sequel, I'll tell you what there is going to be, and that is a whole shitload of knockoff imitation films and. I think there will be official. I think this is going to launch a new line of DC standalone, like thirty million dollar budget superhero comic book movies, and yeah, I don't think it will last very long because they're going to make. I mean, who's the next best Batman villain? They'll probably do like the gritty, low budget character study. Uh, no, no, it's too, it's too obvious, too similar. They won't, no. Uh, but that's the thing. All the other Batman villains are shit. No one wants a Penguin movie. Can you imagine <laughs> how bad that'd be, Mister Penguin's poppers. But how, how do you do that in a gritty, real way then? How well, do you change it enough? Penguin's the, easy. The He's just a mob boss, isn't he? He's got a big nose. I think Joker's the only one who really holds his own for like a film. Yeah. Without like another villain being pulled in to help, without actually having Batman there to fight, like there's Mad Hatter, I love him, but you're basically just doing Joker again if you make that character study, just with an Alice in Wonderland theme. If you make the Riddler movie, it's just Joker, but with more green. <laughs> but then Poison if, Ivy. Well, that's it. If you pick someone a bit more outlandish, like Poison Ivy. You're going to end up making a fucking like Jekyll and Hyde or Frankenstein science fiction film, aren't you? It's not going. It's just. But then Two Face can't possibly sustain a gritty character study. Scarecrow, maybe you could make like a horror film out of Scarecrow. I don't know. Mister Freeze, just wouldn't work, would it? But could you do the gritty thirty million dollar take on? Lois and Clark. Uh, no Superman. Yeah, no Superman. Just just Clark Kent. I'm I'm interested in a no Superman Superman film because mm. I find Superman very boring. But Clark Kent's interesting. Tell you what, Alan. This this isn't low budget by any stretch of the imagination. But I I finished reading Superman uh, Red Sun last night, which is the famous Mark Millar. Uh, comic series, miniseries, where uh, we see what would happen if Superman had landed in Soviet Russia as opposed to Kansas. Um, it's actually oh, Ukraine, okay. but like but they you know pull him into the Soviet Union. Um, Ukraine was in the Soviet Union. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that, uh, you know, I mean, modern day Ukraine. Yeah, yeah. but I, I um, that's an interesting starting point. I like it. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I, I just think. I think it's inevitable that they're going to make that into a film at some point, and I think if they give it to the right person, it could be phenomenal. I think they can make a really great film. I think that'll be very interesting. When was it written, the comic book? Um, I don't actually know. After the fall of the Soviet Union? Oh yeah, I think so, yeah. Hmm. Let me have a look. Uh, 2003. 
See, I think we're I think we're far enough away from the Soviet Union now that you can play with it a bit, and it's not quite as raw. Yeah, uh, the, what I wasn't expecting when I read it is that it it pulls in so many other characters, like Batman's in it, reimagined as a a kind of anti-Soviet terrorist freedom fighter. Um, there, there's some really cool ideas with you know Wonder Woman's in it, Green Lantern's in it, but the main problem I had was that it just felt like, lol, imagine that. It, it it feels like you need to do everything stems from this one difference of where Superman lands. But instead, it's kind of arbitrarily like, oh, well, Superman landed there, but now Bruce Wayne is also, like, Russian for some reason, and, you know, this character's mm. now... It, part of the Roswell landing for no reason. It it's not it, it's not well thought through. But I think if you gave that framework to a, a good filmmaker, they could make something really quite like incredibly fun, inventive, but also, you know, with a point to it and a purpose about, you know, at what at what point our um personality is, you know, dictated by how we're raised and things like that. I, oh, I, definitely, yeah, that's yeah. what I mean. That's would be very interesting. Yeah, and uh, I know that, um, I, I believe it was the guy who directed Kong Skull Island pitched a, a film adaptation of this comic to Warner Brothers uh, a few years ago, but I wouldn't be surprised if they'd be a lot more open to, you know, that, that, that was at the height of their attempt to make a cinematic universe, and I think they've kind mm. of given up on that somewhat. I mean, kind of have, kind of haven't. The audience has. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what's going on with that now? A load of Batman, Matt Reeves' Batman's uh, castings being announced the last few days. Um, do you know about any of this, Alan? No. Okay, so they have announced uh, 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 Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman. Okay. Do you know who that is? Uh, Lenny Kravitz is... Yeah. Uh, sister? I think, daughter? I think it's his daughter. Oh, yeah. Lenny Kravitz is quite old now, isn't he? Yeah, he's pretty old, is he? She played Catwoman, I believe, in the Lego Batman movie. Oh, well then. Now she's graduating okay. to doing it for real. She also, um, she was in that Harry Potter thing, the most recent one, the worst one, the Fantastic Beasts 2. And she was pretty good in it, actually. She was one of the oh, right. better things about it. Well, it's her... Uh, Robert Pattinson's Batman, we've spoken about that in a Diminisode or something. Uh, Jeffrey Wright is playing Commissioner Gordon. I just feel bad for J.K. Simmons, because he got so fucking <laughs> like swole for that part, and then he wasted <laughs> it on Justice League. Poor guy. But yeah, Jeffrey Wright, he's good, isn't he? I like him. Yeah, yeah, he's good. Jonah Hill uh, was an- originally announced as the Joker, but they're kind of walking that back now. But then, with all of that, it kind of sounds like, you know, J.K. Simmons not coming back. It sounds like they really are drawing a line under the continuity that was established with, um, you know, Batman v Superman, Justice League, Wonder Woman, Suicide Squad. Fair enough, but then there's this Birds of Prey Harley Quinn movie coming out that's a direct spin-off of Suicide Squad. And James Gunn's making Suicide Uh, Squad 2 with a load of the same actors, so... Multiverse or something. Wonder Woman two's coming out next year, and that's the thing. They're not. Multiverse, mate. They're making Aquaman two, and they're not going to let Wonder Woman die. It's too um, that 
specific take on Wonder Woman's too successful. They're gonna they're gonna keep pushing yeah, with that. Definitely. Yeah. So does that mean we're gonna have a different Batman thing going on and a different DC universe thing and then like Joker and then they'll probably make some other dark standalone projects and fucking hell. <laughs> it's a right nonsense, isn't it? Anyway. Oh yeah, Shazam, that's part of that fucking Zack Snyder oh, yeah. shit show, isn't it? I forgot about that. Mm. Doing a sequel to that. I wouldn't be surprised if they do some like hilarious jokes in Shazam 2 about oh look serious gritty Joker oh and you get like Joker from the neck down <laughs> makes a cameo <laughs> Jared Leto's upset apparently yeah well he should be he deserves it <laughs> who's the best Joker come on Alan who's the best Jared Leto I liked him <laughs> I don't know. I don't get involved in these things. You rank them, and I'll just belittle your choices. No, I don't. Jared Leto. <laughs> I I think Heath Ledger's the the best we've had, but Mark Hamill makes a, a solid. He's got a solid uh, case for him being the best Joker. It's hard to compare a vocal performance with a, a full-bodied one, though, isn't it? Yeah. Who was it who did it in the 60s who couldn't even be asked to shave? Cesar Romero. Yeah, he didn't even shave his moustache. No, no. no. fucking paint over it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he was still better than Jared Leto. <laughs> I, I'd put Joaquin Phoenix above... Yeah, yeah, yeah you know what? Yeah, it... It's slightly above Jack Nicholson, I'd say. Jack Nicholson's good, but he's just having a laugh being Jack Nicholson. He's just doing Jack Nicholson. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess that makes Whacking Phoenix like the third best Joker, so... Pretty impressive, actually. Uh, I think he'll get an Oscar nod, do you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He won't win it, though. And I I think that's going to be all this film gets at the Oscars. I think there's going to be a whole load of people whining and complaining that it doesn't get a Best Picture nomination, but doesn't deserve one. (laughs) It's too polarising, I think, to actually land a Best Picture nod. If it's very lucky, it'll get cinematography and music and makeup, but I think it's just going to be Whacking Phoenix, personally. What would you give it out of 10, Alan Joker? Well, it's uh, it's all up and down, but I, I sort of settled on a seven. Oh wow, that's far more positive than I thought you were going to be. Which is, well, it was, an, it was I thought it was an interesting character thing. There was a lot of interesting stuff about it. I just ultimately came away thinking that yeah, it wasn't as clever as it thought it was, and the ambiguity was not necessarily deliberate. But there was definitely elements that I liked about it. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I'm much the same as you. I, I I loved bits of it. I thought more than anything, I'm I'm really glad that this film exists. I'm really glad that someone got out and made this and just said, "Fuck it, let's make a low budget, comparatively low budget superhero film." But it's official mm. canon and blah 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 blah. And you know, it's not it's not James Gunn making Super. It's a proper DC production. Um, just as a as an experiment, I like it. But like you say, well, like I say, it's not nearly as clever as it thinks it is. It's 
got all sorts of problems. I didn't buy the characters. I didn't find it all that compelling on a personal level. Uh, mm. So I give it a 6 out of 10. Which I, I think is yeah, quite think that's fair. fair to say it's as muddled as it is. Which I find interesting because most people who've seen it seem to be very, you know, one extreme or the other. They love it or they hate it. I was quite in the middle, like, mm. eh. Yeah. That's what I call it, Alan. Joke. Eh. <laughs> How about that? Um, he's a he's a he's a joker. He's mm-hmm. a smoker. He's a midnight toker. Are those the lyrics? <laughs> what are the lyrics? Yeah, that's about right. Yeah, yeah. Um, an interesting film, and. An interesting experiment for diminishing returns. <laughs> Covering mm-hmm. a new release on a normal episode. Soon. Normally, this would be locked behind the wall of Patreon, where Ooh. for one dollar a month you could have access. It's not to... much of a wall. No, so yeah. it's, it's more like a small verge that you could easily Look, step across. It's yeah, it's, it's like it's like what Donald Trump's probably going to manage to build. That's the <laughs> kind of wall we're dealing with here. It's a fence. A moat. Yeah, you, you, you for one dollar a month you would get access to uh all sorts of diminisodes where we would cover uh upcoming not what the why do I keep saying that? All sorts of diminisodes where we cover uh recent releases, current releases in some cases. What are some of those we've just done, so Oh, uh Downton Abbey. <laughs> that'll that'll get the listeners in. Downton Abbey. <laughs> Uh, yeah. I don't know. By the time did, this goes out, who knows what we'll have done? We did pretty much a full length episode on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Well, that's what I wanted to say. It's not all diminisodes. Some of it is Domin. Domin. The full length bonus episodes. We've got a habit of that sometimes where we'll be doing a diminisode and we're like, you know what? Fuck it. This is a full-on episode. We're going to put some some fun sound clips in it, and it's going to be like an hour long. And we've done that with us. We did it with Avengers Endgame because we had so much to say about both of those. And we've just done it with Once mm-hmm. Upon a Time in Hollywood. And uh, you know, I, I haven't listened back to it yet after editing it. But if I do say so myself, I thought that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood episode is one of our best episodes in a while, Alan. But yeah, how how do how does one get access to these things? So. Uh, it's patreon.com forward slash dim returns. Sounds expensive though, all that extra content. I'm sure it's very costly. Well, I mean it's it's, it's expensive for us making it in terms of our man hours, <laughs> in terms so of nice. our blood, sweat, and tears. <laughs> but yeah. we, we we don't care. We're we're giving out to you, the listener, for one dollar a month. And and you know what? That money, it's not like we're just pocketing it. Like some sort of Robert De Niro character in a film that isn't Joker, where he's probably like being a, a mob lord or something. The Irishman coming out. I haven't seen it. Um, it's not like we're doing that, is it, Alan? We're we're putting it back into the show. It's paying for hosting costs. It's it's. Uh... <laughs> to be fair, let's let's be honest. If we were making enough out of it, it goes straight into our pockets. But we're not. We're not. Cov- we don't even cover the costs. <laughs> Look, right? The thing is, if we ever end up making enough money from this show that a substantial amount is going into our pockets, then 
you know, we'll we'll start dedicating far more time and care to the show. And so <laughs> you're still going to get more out of it as a listener, aren't you? All right. Well, should probably call it a day there, shouldn't we, lads? Yeah. Hey. All right, stop him then. Bye. Or as the Joker would say, I'm crazy, I am. That kooky Joker. What's he like? Ding dong. (laughs) Oh no! It's the Joker! Hello! (laughs) It's me! I'm mad! Oh, Joker, Joker. What's so mad about you, really? Oh, you know, in the office, everyone's always saying, you should be on television, you should, you're crazy! <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> what? What's an example of something mad that uh, that you've done then, Joker? What have you done today? I brushed my teeth! With a banana! <laughs> well, that does sound pretty crazy, Joker. You, you are just unhinged. <laughs> That's insanity. Why would you do that? That's not even... That's just going to create more plaque. Because I'm a nutcase! <laughs> Alright, well, um, thanks for visiting, Joker. Maybe maybe we'll have you on the show in the future, because I think this character's got legs, but probably not the time to explore it now. Got legs! Ooh! You know what else has got legs? You thought I was going to say a centipede, but a snake! <laughs> This is like the Noel Fielding school of comedy, where you just, you just, you just say like weird stuff. <laughs> yes, you should come round to my house sometime and, and see the, the setup. Oh, why's that? Well, you're sat on a chair at the moment, but I sit on space hoppers made out of paracetamol. <laughs> It's just no. It's not. It's not even the Joker. It's just no building, Alan. It's just no building. Alright, bye, bye, Noel. Bye, listeners. It's not your style. You look so good that you'll be glad you decided to smile. Pick out a pleasant outlook. Stick out that noble chin. Wipe off that full of doubt, slap on a happy grin, and spread sunshine all over the place.